Today's episode is brought to you by the Consultancy Growth Network. As you'll know, I'm a big believer in learning from people who've achieved the things that you want to. It's why I run this podcast, to share the stories of consulting leaders and how they've got to where they are today. So when I started talking to Mark Janssen and the team at Consultancy Growth Network, it was clear there was an obvious fit between Climate Consulting and their mission and what they are building with their network. But you're probably asking, what is the Consultancy Growth Network? The Consultancy Growth Network is the leading community of boutique consulting leaders. It brings together seasoned consulting growth experts who successfully scaled their own boutiques, with rapidly growing consulting founders looking to emulate their success. Now, you might be thinking, who are these growth experts? What do they actually know about consulting? And this is one of the most exciting things that personally I find about the network. The team at the Consultancy Growth Network have searched far and wide for some of the best boutique consulting leaders to help their members on their journeys, some of which I have previously interviewed for this podcast, such as Don Morehouse and Augusto Negrillo. But it's not just the insights from these people that you will benefit from. By joining, you get access to their jam-packed calendar of regular in-person and online events, their comprehensive growth hub of resources, and their active Slack community. Through all of these channels, you can learn, solve challenges, and achieve the goals you want for your firm. And now if that wasn't enough reason to sign up, the Consultancy Growth Network is giving all listeners to this podcast a special sign-up offer. If you join for 12 months, you join for that next year, you will get your 13th month for free, giving you that extra month to continue to build on everything you're learning and continue to benefit from the network. To sign up, just visit consultancygrowthnetwork.com or contact their partnerships director, Luke, at luke at consultancygrowthnetwork.com. And when you're talking about joining, mention Create Engage or Climbing Consulting, and you will get that special sign-up offer. Hi, and welcome to the first episode of Climbing Consulting for 2024. And what an episode we have to kick us off. In this one, I got the chance to speak to Graham Kerwin, co-founder and CEO of Infuse Group the award-winning digital transformation consultancy that delivers high-performance solutions for big brands such as Pizza Express, Curry's, EasyJet, and more. I was first introduced to Graham by a former guest of mine, Charles Vivian, who is a board advisor at Infuse. Having been introduced to Graham a few years ago, actually just at the start of the pandemic, it has been fantastic to watch their meteoric rise And knowing the journey they've been on, I knew that Graham would make a great guest for the show. As an experienced career consultant, Graham had always harbored an aspiration to forge his own path. This was a journey that he began when he first stepped out into the world of contracting, a move that set him up for his next entrepreneurial venture. But the pivotal moment came when he reconnected with former colleague Harry Fazanis. This was the reunion, as you will hear about shortly, that was the catalyst and ultimately led to Harry and Graham establishing Infuse Group. The partners, they spent the first three years learning the ropes, and it was one New Year's Eve that they talked about their vision, a 150-person strong consultancy that they wanted to create within 10 years. Fast forward five years, and Infuse Group is well on its way to achieving that target. In this episode, Graham and I go into tons of detail on their phenomenal growth story and the secrets to that success. We talk about a whole load, including the three core principles that Infuse Group was founded on. 
we discuss that New Year's Day and how Graham and Harry built the roadmap to help them achieve their 10-year plan. We talk about the importance of business development and why it's a lot like managing a football team in a consulting environment. We also explore data and the importance that that plays in Infuse's approach to how they work and their ability to scale as fast as they have. And finally, we talk about what Infuse are focusing on to take them to the next level. Whether you are just starting out in consulting, or maybe it's your 2024 New Year's resolution to start your own firm or accelerate the growth of your firm or your practice, I know that you are going to get so much from this conversation. So for the first time in 2024, please sit back, relax, and enjoy today's conversation with Graham Kerwin. Graham, welcome to the show. Hi, Nick. Well, I'm really looking forward to this on this rather wet afternoon in London, but I think we're, we're warm inside, so it's already started well, and I'm looking forward to this chat. So thank you for coming on. In terms of kicking off, it would be great for our listeners, obviously we've known each other a little while, but for those who maybe don't know you so well, if you could give a bit of an overview of your background and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, absolutely. So career consultant, started out consulting live, gosh, about 25 years ago now. Started working for Mars, actually. So I did work for there. I was, I was quite a techie in the early days. So um, I was a network engineer. Moved on to Computer Science Corporation as a technical architect, um, IBM as a strategy consultant. And then IBM actually took me to Australia. So I went out to Australia, worked for a couple of years there. And I think what was interesting there was I actually moved companies and started working for quite a small consultancy out there. And that kind of gave me a little bit of a life, the difference in life between big consultancy and small consultancy. Came back to the UK, um, came over, worked uh, for a small consultancy over here. And that's kind of what gave me the sort of fire in the heart to actually go and create something myself. Fantastic. Well, I think a very succinct overview, Graham, and, and a lovely uh, lovely place to leave us and our audience for, for what came next, because obviously that was Infuse Group, and we're going to talk a whole lot about the, the journey that you and the team have been on and your growth. But because it was where you nicely for me left that overview, I'd be really interested to start with that almost origin story, because I, I understand, and you can correct me here, is you and Harry, your co-founder, started the business, but it it was something you two did almost as like a two-man or a sort of small lifestyle business, for want of a better name. And then at some point you decided, right, we are going to turn this into you know a serious consulting firm. You're now, is it 50 people? Is that about right? Yeah, about 50. So you know that's quite a growth journey, two to 50. But take me back to that early day. Kind of why did you and Harry start it? And, and I guess that extension of what led you to go, right, we're, we're going to do this, you know, properly, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, what was quite interesting, we were kind of accidental partners, really. But both of us left our previous consultancy. We both worked there together uh, about the same time. Both of us kind of wanting to do something a bit different, but both left completely independently. We both went into the contracting world. But I think both of us had a bit of a desire to not be career contractors. Mm. I started up a small innovation strategy firm. Harry started up a sort of op model transformation firm. And I think quite quickly, we realized that it's quite a lonely business doing it by yourself. So we actually became quite close, sort of sharing stories, you know, little things like how do you set up a bank account? How do you register businesses and it was probably about six months down the line we kind of looked at each other and went, we're trying to create the same business slightly different fields but essentially the same business 
So that's really where we decided to go. Why don't we do this together rather than separately? So that, that was the formation of Infuse Group. And very much in the early days, you know, we were both in contracts at the time. And essentially, we, we were kind of two contractors, both working together, both working out what to do. I think both of us, we were both big company consultants. So, you know, we didn't consult small organizations. We consulted very large organizations. And, you know, really that early days was testing some of our assumptions. Could we win work? Could we even get through procurement barriers or anything like that? Would anyone take us seriously as this sort of two-man band? But also we wanted to kind of put ourselves on quite a solid financial footing before sort of scaling the business. So the first probably three years were really spent bringing the cash into the business, building up the stockpile to help us grow and also working out what we wanted to create. We had lots of ideas. Um, we, we had lots of experience of the past working for both big consultancy and small consultancy. And it was really sort of trying to pick out what didn't work in those models and trying to pick out what did work in those models and um, sort of trying to put something together to to, to help grow. There is a lot in there, Graham. And I'm going to, I'll take it in the order that they came and you can tell me how they weave together. So the, the first question, obviously you and Harry, you knew each other, well, you left the same business independently. I don't want to therefore assume, you mentioned you got close, but that you started close. So did you know each other well at, prior to, I guess, leaving and then coming together? We, we knew each other well. I wouldn't say we were kind of, you know, bosom buddies there we, you know we, we were good friends there and 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 so forth we worked in a similar area in the consultancy but um I'd, 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 i certainly wouldn't say it was two people that had been in the pub for a year working out what we were going to do you know it was it was very much we had a, a good working relationship there which leads me on to the question i was hoping i'd get to ask if you had said we're, we're bosom buddies we've been down the pub for ages it would have been different but you know at that stage obviously you you had, you know, each of you had a business, it was nascent, it was one of you. And some people might think, well, that's an easy decision. But at the same time, you're you're in effect tying your livelihood and your income to a relative stranger. How did you guys get comfortable with that? Was it was it really natural and obvious? Or was there like a, a sort of getting to know each other phase? I, I think there was definitely a getting to know you phase. So w when we decided to scale or, or create infuse we actually kept our other companies kind of open at the time and you know we kept our day rates coming into that company so th there wasn't that financial kind of link from day one i suppose ah, okay and then i think one of the biggest points we we, we have very respect for each other i think and I, I think that's the thing that makes our partnership fantastic actually is we kind of both know what we're good at and what we're not good at and i think very much in the early days when we made that decision to scale we very much said look harry you go and run the consulting side of the business i will go and grow the business and we had very clear roles in that obviously then one of us is non-billable one of us is billable that could you know drive awkwardness in the conversation but um i, th I think we were both we both respected each other, which, which I think was really strong. You know, both of us were working really hard in those early days, but also 
we both had a real shared vision of what we were trying to to, to create, and and also we took this on very much as a let's see how it goes. So you know, we were completely open to having a conversation to start to say this isn't working, and I think very much in the early days we had no sort of strong. You know, it wasn't like we'd gone and bought a load of equipment or you know gone and invested a load of uh, of cash um, or something you know it was very much if it's not working we just go our separate ways and and that's fine yeah and i i, I like that structure to your point almost as to the question of how did you keep your incomes kind of secure or make sure you felt protected it sounds like you you had your companies and then you had a you know the infused company and we don't really need to get into how much etc but you you mitigated that risk and I guess to your point there, going about that kind of phase where you could have gone your separate ways, it, it feels like that's that three years where you were, to your point, testing propositions, procurement. I want to come on to what you said around the the kind of what you learned, you know, taking the best from big and small consultancy. I'm also interested in how you went out as a conjoined offering. You mentioned around procurement, and I always think that step from contractor to consulting firm is quite an interesting one because you have to convince someone that you're not Graham, the you know contractor on X hundred a day, you're Graham, the partner in a consulting firm, and that firm should be paid you know, X thousand for a project. And with two of you as contractors, I imagine the problem's the same. It's just two contractors. How did you approach that to your point to, to kind of get to a proposition and test, you know, get procurement and clients comfortable with it? We've always created a business that looks bigger than what it is. Yeah, we, we've always been quite polished in... So what we what we're about, but I think we were also quite smart. I think in the early days, you know, we partnered with firms, so you know, we built a great network of partner firms as well. So you know, firms that were already on preferred supplier lists and actually contracted via them into organisations. We used our network a lot, so um, you know, we built some fantastic relationships with some quite senior people, and it was really kind of identifying those companies that maybe don't have the very rigid PSL list that you that you have to get through and 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 so forth and being quite selective in who who we went after in the early days but as I say being quite open to the fact that we might be going into a client under another consultancy and you know at the end of the day we were there to build our credentials win some work prove the model and we weren't so rigid in sort of having to go down a particular route. Hearing you speak about this, it, it sounds like you had a clear vision, or the two of you had a clear vision for things you needed almost to prove, you know, to your point, you can get through procurement, we can work together. Uh, and that three-year time horizon, was that because you had achieved and said to yourselves, these are the right things? And if so, what were those things that we may not have talked about? Are there any other things that you put on that tick list? You said, we, we need these before we launch, and it took you those three years to do. I, I think as well, the other side of it is what clients want to buy. So, so, so we started Infuse with kind of three core principles. One was about being relevant to, to, to our clients. And relevance is about, you know, getting in front of the client as much as possible, speaking to the client, um, understanding what their challenges were. Me and Harry always refer to ourselves a little bit as Swiss Army knives. I think through our careers, we kind of touched on so many aspects of IT. I think in our early days, we had a bigger service offering than we've got today, simply because we could service that. So I think, you know, those early days were really, we can do a lot, what the clients want to buy in the market. 
And then the other side of it was really around value and expertise and really understanding where do clients buy expertise and where don't they? And where can we position ourselves in the market for what we can, we can offer? It makes a lot of sense. And, and I do want to touch on the, the service offerings. Why don't we go there next, actually? Because I, I think we've talked about, so it took three years to, I guess, get to two of you. And since then, as we talked about, you're now 50 people, you know, roughly 300% year on year growth. Like, that's massive at, at any level. You know, we were talking ahead of this, weren't we, that actually that percentage is probably the more relevant thing because it's 300% is 3x the thing you had before. And that's a big shift for anyone. I guess, take me on that journey. So you decided you're going to do this. How did you then really start that growth engine? What was it that helped you go from two to you know rapidly getting to where you are now? So, so I think the first, I, I distinctly remember the conversation. Me and Harry have a bit of a tendency. I, th- I think Christmas is the only time where we properly switch off from work. I distinctly remember the conversation. I think it was on New Year's Day. I think we kind of met up and we both kind of looked at each other and went, is this it? And we both sort of went, nah, this isn't it. This was the kind of end of that three years. Yes, that was the end of the three years. And then we really crystallized what do we want to create? And at the time, we basically said, we want to create, I don't know, a medium-sized consultancy, about 150 people in about 10 years' time, at which point we kind of looked at each other when I have no idea how to do that. So as good consultants, we got Excel out, put 10 years down there, put a formula that kind of grew our um, our revenue from zero to where we wanted to get to in, t- in 10 years' time. And then we really said, okay, first year, million, that seems doable. How are we going to do that, really? And uh, we, had, we had some good mentors from some of the consultancies, actually. And the nervousness at the time was taking on an employee. It kind of felt quite a big step suddenly you've got someone else's life kind of that you've got to pay their payroll and i remember a good friend at another consultancy just went if you take someone on you'll get them busy yeah and it was like and i think that pressure of kind of you're paying their wage you'll get them busy so that was really the tipping point we took a leap of faith we took someone on um but i think in the early days we were very purposeful in shaping an engagement having that engagement ready for that person to come on to. So, um, and really that kind of gave us the confidence to, you know, that person was then busy for six months. Okay, this is going okay. Let's get our next person, but let's identify that role for them to go on to. Because, you know, what we didn't want to do was to just take a load of people on and then suddenly worry oh gosh how do we get them busy so we're very purposeful in the that early days how did you do that because the dream is client sends role you fill role the world rarely is that perfect how how did you i guess get as close to perfect with that as possible to like you say not have to have someone sitting on the bench that early on i think we're very lucky in the sense of you know we were working for some quite large clients at the time um, and it was, it was changing the conversation. And I think, I think the big shift for us in the early days was changing the conversation away from, do you want me and Harry to help you to infuse can help you solve a problem. And it, it's really that shift away from selling ourselves to selling 
the company and and other people so and you know it was about building relationships listening listening for those cues that maybe someone wants to buy now i think what was really interesting in the early days is we always tried to sell the big strategic model project and stuff and we all know those sales cycles are quite long you have to hit them at the right time and actually sometimes when you speak to people actually what they their burning platform at the time is i just need a project manager to help me with this project because i've just come out of this this meeting that this project you couldn't help me could you and it, it was just being very opportunistic to to sort of say not say that's not what we do to yeah of course we can help you and um it was just that natural growth of listening to clients understanding their challenges and i think there's a big difference when you're speaking to clients between what they want to do and what they want to do and have budget for and it was really kind of focusing the conversation very much in the early days is what do you want to do and what do you have budget for and what can we help you with now and um yeah and it just grew from there really i mean Grant, I think I'm going to pack up running my business and come and do what you've done now. You've, you've told me how easy it is. To your point around, you and Harry met New Year's Day. I don't know if you built the spreadsheet New Year's Day. Yeah. But you, you, very good. So this, this might carry on then. So you talked about earlier how from early on in the business, you were kind of business development and Harry was running the consultancy. And, and appreciate that it might not have been day one, but you built the spreadsheet. I'm going to take a punt that you chatted about some of this stuff, maybe built an op model, maybe built a strategy. And again, because I think it'd be helpful, you know, we're, we're approaching New Year's Day 2024, there might be others like you. What were those other things that you created that day that actually really helped set you and Harry, you know, on the right path, so to speak? We created our first, our initial value proposition. So, you know, I think as I sort of said, we'd spent three years understanding or trying to understand which of the the elements people buy so you know in the early days we were very much around transformation and delivery very much in the it space we created the kind of the cornerstone values as well of what we want so i I think i mentioned two earlier so you know we wanted to be relevant we wanted to be really value expertise in there but we also wanted to create a great place to work as well and we sort of said look if we're going to create a we're going to create this 150 person firm what what are our founding principles and those founding principles remain today in that firm and we had the long-term vision we had the the end goal but what we didn't try and do was to create that end goal We, we tried to really focus down on next year what do we want to be uh how are we going to bring in a million pounds this year what clients are we going to go after where's our let's go on to linkedin and look through all of our contacts and network and connections who we're going to target and um, just be very focused on focused on the end goal focused on what we want to create in the long term but then understand okay step one is that first step on the journey let's get ourselves busy and um so we created that list of people to go out and contact and then went out and contacted them and started started speaking to them sounds like a very very busy new year's day it was very busy new year's day <laughs> well, well well done and there's a topic i 
I hadn't expected to go here, but it's just something I'm, I'm picking up from you. So you can tell me your thoughts on it. As you, you mentioned around that kind of looking to understand what clients buy. And I think you gave an example of that with, you know, clients might say they want the operating model, but actually they, they need a PM because they're head of transformation or board have kind of kicked them afterwards. You strike me just in what you're saying as someone who has really honed their, you know, let's call it what it is, sales skills, business development skills. And you, know, you mentioned they're like, we made a list and we contacted them, which on one hand, feels very sensible. I know a lot of people in our industry, business development or sales is a kind of the black art, the bit that maybe they're less sure on. I'd love to know, is that something that was always almost innate for you? Or is that something that, that those three years were honing? Kind of how did you get, I guess, both good and comfortable doing those outreaches, those conversations? Not normal for me at all. I was a dreadful business development person before Infuse. I think the big difference is when you're doing it for yourselves, you've got that hunger, you've got that reason to do it, you know, I suppose. And you've got that desire to to go out and build. And I think this is really sort of fed through t- today. Actually, we're really strong in the business today that business development runs through the whole organization we have business development competencies that run that start at analyst and run all the way through the organization and i think what we've kind of learned through the process and particularly learning from i suppose that desire is you've got to give people the want and desire to go and do business development it's something that doesn't come natural to people but you also need to give them the support as well and also understand people have a different role to play in business development. I use a, an analogy. I don't know whether it's, it's any good, but the analogy I like to kind of think of is it's like playing football. You know, you have a goalkeeper who kicks the ball out. They're the person who has that big black book of people. They can go and get a coffee in the diary with someone. Then you've quickly got to move it on to your winger. Your wingers, your person who dazzles them, who, and they're your subject matter experts. So, you know, they're the person that comes in the room, absolutely dazzles them with their knowledge, their experience. But then you need the striker and the poacher to put it in the net. And that's the people who really understand how to close a deal and get it over the line. And it's very rare people can take all three of those roles. And that's why when we look at business development, it's about, uh, it's a team ethos. So, you know, we have a company level bonus. We have no individual bonuses. So all of our bonuses are tied to company performance. They're not tied to individual performance because I strongly believe that it's a team game. Yeah. You know, you win as a team and, and everything. And, you know, you, you need to support people in that journey. I love the analogy, Graham. It's, it's the first time I've ever heard it explained like that. But I, I do think it's really powerful because, to your point, often one of the issues with business development, in, in your analogy, is people think they have to be the whole football team. You know, they, I have to get a black book, then I have to be a subject matter expert, then I have to be able to you know, negotiate a deal or sell. And I really like your framing there around actually, no, if, as long as the team is playing its roles, you don't need that. And I think the interesting thing then, to your point around, you've internalized this in, in the team, to your point of kind of desire and capability, you just touched on there, people don't, ha- they're not incentivized individually. So I guess, how do you, I'll try and use the football metaphor or analogy, like how do you motivate them to win the World Cup? And then how do you coach them to play, you know, the 5-4-2 to actually win it? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think on the coaching side, people learn through doing. So, you know, we do run business development courses. They're okay. You know, I think you can learn certain techniques, but I think people really learn through seeing. So, um, you know, one of the big things we try and do now is we do pair selling. So we try and tell people don't go into a meeting by yourself, but also pull people into the meetings that maybe don't have that experience uh, and stuff start to demystify business development. And, you know, one of the things we always sell, you're not selling, you're helping clients solve problems. And I think when you sit, when you first of all, tell people go and sell, they think of the car salesman, I'm going to ring up, I'm going to offer you a deal and stuff. It's not about that. It's about talking to your client, understanding their problem and helping to shift the conversation to how can we help you solve your problem? And I think you really need to demystify that, but you demystify it by seeing and doing sort of through that process. And yeah, it's been phenomenally seen some of the, some of our consultants now are, you know, some of the best sellers. And, and actually I come back to the football analogy when you're hunting, generally your goalkeepers tend to be uh, more senior people with the senior relationships. Actually, when you're in a client, quite often your goalkeepers are your analysts, your consultants and stuff, because they're the ones on the ground hearing all of the problems. And, you know, what we're really coaching people to do is just listen out for ways in which we can help clients, but don't try and do it all yourself. Bring the experts into the room get support you know around that and you know your place in the journey might simply be i've just been chatting to this person they need a bit of help in this area could we bring in so and so to have a conversation with them and you know that that plays a critical role in that journey it's a great point around that difference between sort of hunting and farming as well because again to the common i guess misconceptions in our industry it is that you know, the partner has to do all of the selling but like you say if your consultants your analysts are on site with a client they're going to be the best people to do it and as you say you work with large corporates where the, they are in the you know in the meetings with the stakeholders who matter you 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 know as the the leader of the business you're not so it'd be weird you reaching out to them starting that you know to your point it being can that be goalkeeper. a bit awkward sometimes when you know the people on the ground suddenly you get this person that you've not met for six months suddenly kind of swooping in and i think the other element of growth as well is uh, uh, teaching our people that doing a really good job is also part of growth 95 percent of our engagements result in repeat business so actually a, a big level of our growth actually comes from continuing the relationship with clients in areas and we do that through delivering really good work for the client so um you know, again, there's that kind of growth element to, you know, thinking, how do you go that we, we have a bit of a mantra about be remarkable. And that's a bit of a mantra that goes through the business. And that's, you know, be remarkable in our work, be remarkable, the way we work with each other and everything. And, you know, again, with our consultants and our analysts, with everyone in the business, it's about going, we need to differentiate ourselves. Yeah. And actually, we win a lot of our work because we're different and we have a slightly different way of working with our clients and everything from everywhere else. We're very human in the way we work with them. And that's why everyone in the business has a 
a role to play in the growth of the firm. So we've talked a lot about the sales side and how that has evolved and supported growth. So the, there are lots of aspects of the business and yeah, there are listeners to this who might think sales were fine, but other areas we, we could do with some help. And I guess the question to, to you would be similar you know, to sales. As that journey, that growth happened, you know, what, what were the areas that you and Harry were finding, well, we've really got to fix this or you know, we've really got to put this in place? Were there any other kind of processes, systems, part of that operating model that you found as you've grown have really been the areas you've had to focus to continue that growth? Yeah, I mean, I think one, one advantage we had was we both had experience in the past of working in both large consultancy firms, but also smaller growth consultancies. So we kind of knew what good looked like from that point of view. So very early on, we started to put those systems in place, put those processes in place. I think because we had a very, very clear view of growth, it was growth wasn't, you know, it wasn't an accident. It was a very purposeful growth journey. We were always planning for the next stage so we got back office in quite early we got a psa system in very early you know we didn't want to manage the business on spreadsheets we wanted to manage them on systems um great place to work was really important to us so we got ahead of people in very early on in that side so i think we were very purposeful in putting some of those building blocks in early to make sure we weren't catching up on that on that stuff Obviously, it's worked, so this the answer might not be that helpful. But was there ever a, I guess, challenge or concern for you and Harry in, in the sense that you're growing this business fast, but to your point, you're putting things in early, which also means investing cost, you know, ahead of people, non-chargeable resources of cost, systems, etc. How did you two get comfortable, I guess, with making what must have felt like big decisions quite early on when you're still you know, trying to grow, build the balance sheet, was it just it's in the plan so we do it? Or was that sort of conversations you you two were having to to get comfortable with those? I, I, th- I think there was, it was very much, I, th- I think because we had the split of roles and because we had trust with each other, I think Harry could focus on what consulting we're going to do, what the projects and all that side. I could focus very much on the growth, which included the finance and everything. I've always been all over the finance as well. I think that's something as a as, a, as an MD is really important. Um, I know exactly what's on our balance sheet every day. I know exactly what how much cash in bank we've got every day. I know exactly what our invoicing. I, I know all of that because that's helped me make purposeful decisions through the process. So to that point, did you, as the MD, was it that Harry said, Look, if, if you think, Graham, we need a head of people, I like, I'm sure there was a conversation, but it was very much a trust. Like, I back you, do you do that? I'm focusing on proposition. Were you able, is that where you kind of got to as a team? Any strategic decisions and strategic hours we always discuss. And we always, it's not just my decision to bring that on. It's always a discussion with, with Harry. We always kind of have a bit of a, if it's my area, I kind of have the veto vote, but we, we discuss every every single discussion. I think the other thing in the early days as well, we purposefully carried a good mix of permanent and trusted associates. Part of our model is, yes, we have our own permanent people, but we've also built a fantastic network of partners and trusted associates that work with us. So 
in order to de-risk a little bit, we actually use that trusted associate pool. Now that puts its own stresses and strains on, you know, as well. I think, you know, probably one of the most stressful times was where we really went through hyper growth in, I think in about the space of two to three months, we doubled our monthly revenue, which was on one side, fantastic. This is amazing. On the other side, we doubled our outgoings every month as well. So, um, you know, having those, that cash flow kind of, you know, suddenly you go, I've got loads of money in the bank. Then suddenly you've doubled and you're going, oh my gosh, I've got half of that money kind of in the bank, but we're doing well. But that was very purposeful in that side because, you know, we, and, and I think the other side, culture is so important to us. We are very, very, very picky in the people that come in and work for our organization. We both need the skills. So I think that, you know, there is a skill element to the people that come into our organization, but there's very much a cultural element. We've got a very entrepreneurial feel about us. So, you know, the people don't just need to be skilled. They need to be very entrepreneurial and everything. So um, again, going through that hyper growth cycle we couldn't just bring on anyone into the business we had to be very purposeful so we kind of had to manage that our own people and our associate pools through that journey because i think it'll be a great case study for others how how did you i guess manage all of those things during that period you know to your point graham you you've doubled in three months you know doubling in a year is a lot doubling in three months Mm -hmm. obviously happy days in terms of financially but to your point you have to find people who meet your values, meet your quality. So that doesn't slip. You've got to find people who align with culture. You've got to have everyone on the systems. How did you and the team manage that period? Because sometimes that level of growth can almost be the the kiss of death where you let anyone in, quality drops, you know, all of those, we've all heard stories like that. Obviously that wasn't you and you've you've successfully grown on from there. How, How did you manage that period and kind of what were those key things that enabled you to do so successfully? I think the key thing is you have to realize you can't do it yourself. So I can't do all of that myself. So I need everyone to be singing to a shared vision. So I think the first thing is, is around, it's not mine and Harry's vision, it's everyone's vision. So when our recruitment team are are looking for people, when our interviewers are in the interview, they're bought into the vision as well. So it's not us making those decisions. It's actually a lot of that's driven by the, the, the rest of the firm. I think the other thing is data. So we're very data-driven in our decision-making. The majority of our data in our business is there at a fingertip. So, you know, we have clear views on forecasted utilization, utilization rates, you know, all of our financials is there at, at the fingertip. So we, we can make those purposeful decisions and we do a lot of forecasting. So, yeah, you know, I, I think they're the two main kind of things really is, you know, having everyone doing it to a shared vision, but also having the data at your fingertips to actually make those informed decisions and make sure you don't don't make trickier kind of decisions, but but also plan for the future and plan that okay, if suddenly a opportunity for 30 people into a client drops on your desk, what would you do? Yeah. So, you know, do you need some sort of funding mechanism to go and sort of support it. it's not necessarily saying we're going to do that now but having a clear kind of risk 
kind of log of if this happens, this is the risk. Therefore, what's the mitigation that we might put in place? That's a really interesting point, I guess, around, like you say, the risk or opportunity, but taking time to plan the what ifs. And is that something you know you and the team do quite often? You know, what, what, like in this case, or what if we land? Assuming it's thirty people, or what if you know this other thing happens, or what if you know? Is that something that you and the team do quite often? Because that sounds quite unique. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I think this year's been really interesting in that. I, I think, I think most consultancy owners will appreciate this year's been quite a challenging year in the industry. Um, I think the confidence in your pipeline converting i think has gone down i think what what i've sort of seen this year is big pipelines but less of a confidence that things will convert so you, you kind of confidence in your conversion rate kind of goes down we're in a really interesting situation at the moment because we have loads of demand we were virtually sold out we're growing we've got a massive pipeline of work but equally we've got the nervousness of what this year has shown us that necessarily having that pipeline doesn't necessarily convert. So we're, we literally micromanage on a weekly basis. So we have weekly recruitment calls, weekly financial calls, and we're constantly looking at the data and we're constantly looking at the forward view of data. And we're constantly trying to shift our sales cycles to smooth out. I think what I've kind of learned from the past is consultancies tend to go through kind of waves it's it's like, oh we've got no work everyone go and do business development ah we've got loads of work we need to kind of back off it and you kind of go in waves and the real trick is how do you smooth that out so how do you get to more of a consistent growth cycle how do you stop conversations of i need someone tomorrow to be becoming real partners with the company to kind of understand more of their forward pipeline and actually smooth work out. So, um, you know, at the moment, we're very much looking at our sort of March and beyond kind of period now and sort of analyzing, you know, what work's going to get extended, what's our confidence factor of our work's going to get extended, which of the work in our pipeline do we think and actually not recruiting for the pipeline we've got today, recruiting for what's our business going to look like in March time and what's the confidence factor that if I bring people in today, actually in March, I'm not just going to have a bigger bench than than, than, than what I might have. And it, it sounds like the ideal scenario, to, to your point, Graham, that kind of peak and trough, feast and famine is, I guess, the the curse of consulting for many and and it sounds like all of those planning exercises really help you to to sort of smooth that. I guess a bit like when we talked about sales, how have you and the team built that? Because that sounds you know, quite a, you know, if this was a maturity matrix, quite a mature way of running a business. I doubt you and Harry did that on New Year's Day and it's been perfect since. How did you build those structures so that, to your point, you've got the data, the processes, and, and I guess the people to run with that confident forward-looking view that's obviously helped you achieve what you have so far so i think the big the big pivot point was we brought in just over a year ago we brought in a director of growth and their pure remit was to deliver our growth strategy we didn't bring in a business development person yeah in the sense of come in the business open your black book because that just never well and i was going to because you've kind of flagged it there head of growth growth director can be quite a 
a broad title. For some people, it is a BD lead. So what is your head of growth focused on in that respect, just so others can... So I think there's five, there's five areas that our head of growth kind of focuses on. One is around driving a business development culture into the into the business. So uh, this is about training everyone, making sure everyone's got the tools and support they, they need in order to, to, to grow. You've then got the market positioning so how we're going to position ourselves in the market how we're going to talk to market how where are we going to be sector led where are we going to be capability led and all of that side of things and they have marketing that sits underneath them as well so how are we going to present ourselves out to the market and account management so you know how do we and it's not them doing account management it's about how do we make sure that when we get into accounts we've got clear responsibilities around account leads account managers sector leads and how do we get all of that zinging with, with, with everyone else and then you've got the commercial operational side so making sure every deal has a pricing model attached to it we've instigated deal committees weekly sales calls that the whole company are a part of as well and and also from a data we're a very 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 transparent organization we literally share all of our data with all of our people so it's again about making sure we showcase that data in the right way in a digestible way and um really kind of help everyone understand where they are on the journeys and so the final areas about our partnerships as well so i think i touched on this at the start partnerships have always been really important to us our strength as an organization is we have knowledge everything from strategy all the way through to execution at the end but obviously we're a 50 person organization we can't do everything so actually we've got a real great group of niche partner firms that when we need that deep expertise in particular areas we can kind of pull on on that partners but those partnerships need to be managed yeah you know it's not just something you have one meeting go let's be a partner and then walk off they they actually need to be managed so that's another thing that they do is is to help manage those partnerships and help us be genuine partners actually rather than just contacts that might call on each other fantastic now that that's really helpful and i think adds a lot of color to your point of kind of the 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 spectrum in there and i I probably won't open it up for time but it was it was interesting what you said around account management because again things that i a lot gets wrapped up in bd and hunting farming and you know you've touched on it a few times today of actually if you build deep relationships with your client become that trusted partner as we all want to in this industry that account management skill is what it is i actually you see forward look of pipeline you can smooth work you can discuss you know you're not at the mercy of an rfp or you're part of the strategic planning i did though and we've talked a lot around it and i don't know if it's going to be easy to talk about but the data piece i want to come on to culture which we'll do next but the data is massive for you and you've obviously invested a lot of time money etc into it and i guess it might be hard because I suspect you did it from the start. And sometimes if you start right, it's hard to fit. You know, if someone says, well, I've been doing this 10 years, Graham, what do I do? You might go, well, pack it all up and start again. But I'll ask it just in case. You know, if, if someone listening is like, well, right now, oh, I am running off spreadsheets or a spreadsheet or what would you be saying to, and I'm sure you've given this advice to others, like what should they start on to fix their data? Like what are those critical things that kind of day one could make a huge difference to anyone listening who wants to actually have that clearer view of their business yeah i mean i I think 
our KPIs have got more sophisticated as kind of the years have gone on. But really from the early days, the key data points we captured were revenue. So I come back to the spreadsheet. The spreadsheet has a month by month revenue projection for 10 years that were constantly sort of changing. But again, it's that constant sort of revenue side of things. We then track sales and we always track sales ahead of revenue. If you're a growing consultancy, you have to sell more than what your revenue is. So we always have a, a larger sales figure than our, our revenue figure. Kind of a weighted pipeline type view. Yeah. We then have net profit. So, you know, you have to make profit to grow. Your profit is there in order for you to grow. So net profit's always been a key figure, but also gross profit as well. So actually looking at from a deal for deal perspective, understanding what's the gross profit for for the deals. Gross profit is gross profit is a good figure of the quality of work you're delivering and how you're perceived in the market really. And then other KPIs is people numbers. So we always track our internal people numbers we've always tracked from day one our client exposure so how exposed are we at a particular client and almost always trying to make sure we're not too exposed to any particular client or any particular market and our enps as well so um enps is something we've measured from pretty much day dot coming down to the fact that we wanted to create a great place to work Uh, we've always had an enps figure and then more recently, starting to look at NPS, CSAT scores, and and everything around that. That is a very comprehensive list, Graham. Thank you. And it will lead nicely into it, so I'm going to ask for clarity. ENPS, is that employee? Employee NPS? net promoter score. And is the ENPS question, the because NPS is, would you recommend us? Yes, no, as I understand it. I might be wrong. Is that the same you ask the e or is it a different question yeah no it, it, it's the same question so we run regular staff engagement surveys and as part of that there is a calculation of your enps which i believe is based on the question would you recommend this as a as, as a great place to work but you know those staff engagement surveys again are really important to us i think again coming back to the data point it's really important to understand the data that kind of sits behind it and you know we've had a fantastic track record of you know growing our EMPS to quite a market leading EMPS figure but we've only been able to achieve that by having the data behind the EMPS so we get our EMPS score we look at it we spend 30 seconds patting ourselves on the back going congratulations but then we jump straight to the okay what are the lower scoring things and having that data there to really understand what's on people's minds again you can start to 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 address and we're going to touch on bigger culture but because we're into this now i know it'll be helpful for people do you in that is it qualitative and quantitative you capture is it so you're saying okay scores are x and comments are yeah yeah, why you're driving that data perfect and 
it'll take us into it then. You, know, you as an organization, you, know, you won a number of awards for your culture. You, know, you, you touched on one there, great place to work. You know, I've seen on Glassdoor, you kind of got five stars, which, which is rare with Glassdoor. Usually there's someone who's pissed <laughs> off and just says, you know, these people are wankers. It's the kind of one and five scores, isn't it? But you've, all, you've only got fives. I know you've won a number of other awards and, and you know, been named in the best new consultancy for MCA, which I guess you can tell me if that's work or culture. But how have you gone about building that culture? You know, what have you done? And particularly, how have you managed that as you've grown? Because often growth can be the antithesis of great culture. Yeah, so I, I think everything comes down to that shared vision. As I say, we're very transparent as an organization. We're very transparent in our recruitment process as well. We're very transparent when we bring people into the business, what's great about working for a smaller growing consultancy. We're also very transparent around what's the challenge to work for, you know, a smaller consultancy. So I think setting people's expectations of what they're coming into on day one is really important. I think having a very welcoming culture as well. So our, our culture shifts every time someone comes into business. We don't try and assimilate people into our culture. We bring people into our culture and see where it goes, really. And yeah, our business is a very different place now than what it was sort of years ago, but also we're incredibly values driven. So we have four core values as an organization around being human, being relevant, being candid and being creative. And they live and breathe through the whole organization. We have values awards around them. We have morning stand-ups where we pick a value and everyone gives a, you know, a, an example of where they've seen that value and everything. So I think very, very, very quickly when people come into the organization, they, they start to see actually that what we say, actually we do kind of off the back of it. So I think that helps grow. I think the other thing we do is we're just very transparent. So we're transparent about our figures. We're transparent about when we're doing well, when we're doing less well. Which we have a session called Ask Gary, um, which uh, is has been affectionately titled by the team. But that's Ask Graham and Harry has become Ask Gary. And again, anyone can ask us any question they want. We're very transparent with our kind of responses. So we try and bring everyone on the journey. I think the other thing, though, that we also try and kind of get over is we kind of get over the fact that if you want stability, we're probably not the right place for you. If you want to come into an organization that is the same in a year's time than it is the same today, an organization that's grown as rapidly as it is probably not the right organization. But I think finally, you really have to paint the picture of what's in it for the person as well it's a really interesting piece of feedback actually i remember speaking to one of my colleagues and it was you know the growth journey is great but the individual has to understand what's in it for them as well and i think once you start to show what's in it for the individual being part of that what opportunities does that bring the opportunity for growth the opportunity for promotion the opportunity to learn and be part of the creation of it. So um, everything we do as an organization is led by someone in the organization. And some of that's our analysts, our consultants, so everyone can kind of feel part of growing it. And I think when you create that, 
everyone starts to come on the journey with you and it's quite an exciting kind of place place to be and i think you your culture just your culture morphs but i think coming back to the emps side of things every time we've got a bit of better emps so with growth comes opportunity which creates a better firm, which creates a better kind of kind of atmosphere so yeah i think just just kind of focusing on it's really exciting to be part of this journey and you know understand what people can get from their careers and and hire really nice people as well i know that that sounds again coming back to our values our people are really nice people and you know they care about their colleagues not just from a work perspective they actually care about them from their personal kind of perspective and everyone's kind of got each other's back so it just creates a very positive working environment no i i I love what you say there graham and and yeah the ask gary sessions sound brilliant you answered one of my questions who the hell's gary but it uh it answered that perfectly and there's an obvious kind of question to what you said around you this has been a tough year and, and the market is tough as it were is in some ways, it's really easy to be transparent when everything's going well. You know, look how much, or, or maybe it isn't, you can tell me, you know, look how much money we're making, look how much client, how many clients we've won, look how many projects. For some, I imagine it can feel quite daunting if suddenly, you know, let's say to your point on pipeline, your pipeline shows there's a cliff in three months. And actually, how do you navigate sharing that, you know, where there is more challenging news, if there is, and kind of your advice to others who may have that fear of, oh gosh, if I show my team there's a cliff, they're all going to quit tomorrow. I think be honest and it's really interesting point. This is, so we have quarterly away days and we always host them at a different venue. We pick kind of random venues that, that we kind of go to. And we had a quarterly away day at a venue in April and it was the first away day we had to give quite a kind of the market is tough kind of message. I think every away day before then had always been, hurrah, we've grown by 200%, hurrah, we've, we've, we've sort of done that. And the, the analogy we kind of used was we're a speedboat hitting a tsunami and the tsunami is the general kind of consulting market. And we were just very, very honest with people. And we were very honest in the challenges we were facing yeah and trying to get people to understand the why we were very honest with people about you know this isn't necessarily us this is the market we shared data again coming back to the data point we shared data of the wider market and everything like that but we also shared the realities to them of business to a certain degree of see all of this nice stuff that we do, see all of this great culture that we've got, see all of this amazing work that we do. We only do that if we win work. Yeah. And actually at the moment, the market is very challenging. And what that did was brought everyone on the journey. So it turned the problem away from being a leadership director problem to actually being a collective, we're all in this together if we're going to get out of this, we get out of it together and everything. And, you know, it turned it into a very kind of positive thing. And actually, you know, from that, everyone actually came out with a real fire in their belly of, God, we've created this fantastic thing. We ain't going to let a market get kind of, kind of wreck it. 
And what was really interesting, we had our last away day in September at the same venue and we're doing great. And actually there was a real reflection point of the six months between them. And, you know, we actually went and said, you know, we said these messages, we asked everyone to do this. This is what people have done. And this is where we're sitting now, which is fantastic again. And, but we called out how everyone else had been part of that process. And, you know, I think that gave everyone a real sense of pride, I think, to sort of be, be part of it. But I think so kind of coming back to the, to the point, you've just got to be transparent with people and, you know, it's much easier to go through difficult times if everyone is pulling in the same direction rather than trying to hide a load of you know stuff and then suddenly at the last minute go oh guys we're bankrupt yeah you know it's everyone's role i like that and and your point around making it clear the role everyone can play and and aligning as you touched on the you know growth is good because we get the culture we get the away you know the the socials the away days the whatever else it is you know you or, or others listening do but actually making it a collective problem and not a either a we'll fix this for you or we'll we'll hide this and then sorry you know we're gonna have to let 20 of you go because that you know that's a really big point i guess i'll let you answer this as you you want but how transparent do you go like to what level of data can you know if i was in, in your team what could i what could i go and see Pretty much everything. We don't publish individual salaries, but we do publish salary bands. And we're very transparent in, and we're very fair in our salaries. So, it's, you know, we do, we do publish that. But it, pretty much anything we will publish unless there is a very personal element to it. So... You know, I'm not sure I'd go and tell Joe Bloggs what this person's annual rating was or share their development. That's to a certain, yes, we share that with the coaching community. To a certain degree, you have to be respectful in, in certain elements. But yeah, we, we share all of, our, all of our financial data, all of our profit figures, all of our growth plans, sales figures. As I say, everyone comes on to... Um, sales calls and just you mentioned it earlier i didn't pick up is that mandated or everyone is invited no, everyone's invited everyone's invited to sales calls everyone's invited to deal committee they can attend and everyone in the whole firm just everyone in the whole firm so any anyone in the firm can dial into a deal committee and because i think it's really important as certainly early on in your career i was really lucky in my career that when i was quite junior at ibm I actually got quite heavily involved in bid management and I used to have to present up to the kind of the senior risk partners and, and everything like that. And the, there was a lady there that really kind of took me under a wing. And um, I always remember th there was two months, one month I presented one deal that got accepted. The next month I presented exactly the same deal and it got rejected. And as a consultant, I was kind of left there scratching my head a bit going, I kind of presented the same deal to you. And, you know, what was really interesting was her explaining, look, last month from a figures perspective, we were looking for profit. This month, actually, from a figures perspective, we're looking at revenue. I was a bit like, okay, I don't really understand what you're saying. Could you explain it a little bit more? And it really kind of got me into the mechanics of 
how a professional services firm works. And I'm a big, big, big supporter of giving that visibility to the people as early as possible in their career because they have to understand the mechanics of the business. They have to understand when they put on a fixed price deal, the mechanics of how we make profit. And if we go over the amount of time that erodes our profit and so forth, they have to understand that, you know, if we're fixed price, there's a deliverable, we have to deliver that. We have to understand that if we go on a deal, are expenses built into it? Are they not built into it? And yeah, there's a lot of things that they need to really understand in order to to help deliver deliver the project. But also, they also need to understand that not every time you can maybe go on your perfect project. So again, showcasing our utilization rate, showcasing all of that helps with some of those trickier decisions of look i know you wanted to go on a project like this i know you maybe wanted to try some of that but actually we kind of need you to stick around on this project for a bit longer that becomes less of a personal discussion with them and more again coming back to the greater good of the firm they start to understand okay i kind of understand why we need to make those decisions or what i personally want maybe now's not the right time uh, i was just as you were saying that and thinking about your football analogy and, and actually and and i like you the, the only analogies and metaphors i can do is sport some might say not very well but they're what i try and actually hearing you say that almost you know it's like asking a team of footballers in this case to play without seeing the sort of tactics board or without understanding the game plan because as really you know, actually was a bit of a light bulb when you were talking about that ibm piece of if you as a team member are infused right now if you know that you're hunting for i don't know deals where you can get three or four people in because of whatever reason and i'm making this up you're going to be wired in a certain way compared to if you say actually we need to land you know super expensive smes but as you found in your IBM days, if you don't know that, you don't know. And it can be really demoralizing if you think, oh, I found a great deal or I've, I've worked to a great pr- proposal. Like, Sorry. And actually that football analogy of like, now I know we're, we're playing this formation. And actually the same to your point of those growth plans. If I know we're playing, yeah, I, I'm a rugby guy, not a football, so I might be butchering this. Hold with me. Like, if I'm a striker and we're playing a different tactic because it's a tournament to what we'd normally play in the league, if you understand, you'll go back to that in the league. You'll be much happier than if you exactly, exactly. You, you, yeah, you've got to. It's all about the greater good, right? And people can only see the greater good if they can see the greater good. And part of seeing the greater good is understanding the data that sits behind that that whole strategy. And also, it makes the conversations us as leaders have much easier because suddenly we don't have to go into a massive hour long explanation of why we're making a particular decision, we can kind of sort of say, look, you can see on scheduling that actually, you know, we're really, it's really difficult to maneuver this into the right thing for you as an individual. Yeah. And they, they can, they, they can see the thought process that people go to, to get to the end output. We don't have to go and explain that thought process to them. I think you've just answered this question, but I'm going to ask it just in case. In just life in Infuse in general, particularly maybe in your Ask Gary questions, has this ever led to any awkward or uncomfortable questions? And if so, you know, what, what has your approach been to that? 
I won't tell you the question, actually, because it was very awkward, actually. But there was one particular question that got asked. Uh, you know, as I said, with, with Ask Gary, we're very transparent. It literally is Ask Us anything. So this is, and just for context, to, to your point, don't need the question, but open forum, you're, open on, a, forum. you're on a Teams, this is live, it's not yeah. like you live haven't had time to teams. prep. Okay. Some people submit the questions beforehand, but anyone can ask a question kind of there. And sometimes it, sometimes it's a bit jokey personal, sometimes it's a bit more yeah, kind of, you know, particular. And there was one question that, got asked and it really didn't sit well with us because it was quite a personal if you kind of dug underneath of it it became quite a personal kind of question and again we called it out and you know we kind of called it out on Get the call. in the room just I'm, I'm, i know I'm yeah we called it room. out in the room and you know we answered the question so we, we actually didn't agree with the viewpoint actually and we gave a very clear reason why we didn't agree with the viewpoint but equally, we called it out in the room and actually we called it out against our values and actually went, I'm not sure whether that one kind of, you know, hit our values a little bit. But again, it was important to call that out really and, um, you know, sort of make it clear. And we suggested another way of wording the question. We kind of said, look, what you were trying to get to was the core of the issue was kind of fine. It was the way it was kind of presented that maybe was less fine and as i say transparent call it out and actually the feedback we got from that was really positive actually from a lot of other people and they were quite glad we called that out you could paraphrase or i will paraphrase and you can tell me if you agree or not is it feels like treat people like grown-ups and the rest takes care of itself you know to your point the, the data the conversations it's it's when you try and do anything else that you create rumor mills and yeah. second guessing yeah it's that I think is a fascinating topic and thank you for going into it Graham because again I just how you have achieved your growth and underpinnings of those you know that honesty that data that EMPS you know it's, it's fascinating to hear and I I think it brings us into let's call it the next chapter I think you call it infuse 3.0 you know we've we've been growing 300% up to now you're, you're entering 3.0 what what does 3.0 look like to you and kind of what you know on your spreadsheet or as you're going to plan this New Year's Day, I don't know. Is side note: Is New Year's Day now like an anniversary? Do you and Harry always get together, or is that no? Not, no. Okay, I thought that might be you know nice and poetic. But what is Infuse three point Kind of how are you taking the business forward to that next stage? So the Infuse, we didn't purposefully set out to create Infuse three point zero. So our financial year is sort of July to to June. So kind of the summer is our summer's always been the point of the away day where we kind of launch next year's strategy we went away as a leadership team and what really became apparent through the discussion and everything was we were we were hitting a different growth point in our journey and the more we kind of discussed it the more we kind of realized it was always nicely fit into two years and we sort of look at our first two years and we like analogies and uh, the analogy was we were a school football team we like football analogies yeah, absolutely well. love the, love the football. but you know the analogy there was basically a load of people that had no idea how to play the game but were having lots of fun 
but it's if you've ever seen kind of five-year-olds play football it's like ball goes over there and everyone kind of swarms, swarms, swarms with it, yeah. around it but they're having amazing fun and sort of really learning about the game the cycle and the, the rules and we, we kind of sort of say that was about our first kind of two years was just us learning the rules of the game we then kind of moved into our next journey which was probably about 20 and above where the analogy we use is we're like a scout or guide group a bit more grown up had your leaders in kind of points i thought you were going to keep the footballs going no no no. we we tried but yeah (laughs) everyone earning their badges and stuff like that and kind of becoming a bit more professional but kind of still learning and learning about what we wanted to do and we kind of realized in june that actually we really know what we're really good at we've put a lot of those foundations in place as a firm and actually what we were discussing was was more around our next scale of growth how do we go from i think we're 35 people at the time to 150 people and what does a 150 person organization look like and you know some of it was kind of looking at okay should i be doing certain things yes that's probably okay now but as a 150 person organization should i be doing these certain things should other people be doing certain things how are we gonna grow our eminence in the marketplace from a recruitment perspective, what's the type of people we need to kind of bring into the organization, but also what's the support that we need to, the professional development support we need to put as part of our organization. Our pyramid was slightly shifting and and stuff like that. So um, it was really kind of a recognition that one phase was over and we were kind of moving into that we're not learning the ropes anymore. We're MCA's best consultancy of the year. We're the, you know, best companies, top five company to work for and stuff like that. We, we've kind of earned our stripes, I suppose. And now let's almost paint the next picture. And, you know, we're really focused around four key kind of pillars on that. You know, one is around building our growth engine. So again, coming back to the point of, growth if you're going to be go from 35 people to 150 people you've got to bring in a lot of work so how are we going to bring that work in what sectors are we going to go after where are we going to be purposeful in in that side of things the next one's around coming back to our products and services coming back to the relevancy point around okay what is going to be relevant over the next two, three, four years, but also we're a bigger company now. So we've got more of an opportunity to deliver a diff, slightly different type of work necessarily for, for people. So what's our, our products and services offering around the great place to work side? So we, we actually interestingly shifted the terminology from great place to work to high performing workforce. And which was quite an interesting shift actually, because I think culturally that was probably one of the biggest shifts actually around that. But I think that was very purposeful in going, what are we actually trying to get? We're actually trying to develop a high-performing workforce. Now, underpinning that, we believe there's two ways in which you can do that. You can either do it through fun or fear. So you can follow certain organizations, which is fear 
you perform or you're out. We kind of believe in the other way in creating a really inclusive, psychologically safe environment that people can grow in and stuff like that. But, you know, again, as part of that kind of growing up point and creating this commercial organization, which is what we kind of are, you know, our real goal there is to deliver high performance to our that our overall mission is to be the number one, you know, consultancy for helping companies be remarkable and, and so forth. Well, if you're gonna be the number one, you need the best people. So um but also if you focus just on great place to work, you focus on some of the softer stuff. If you focus on high performing workforce, then everything around great place to work is still valid because we want to create that environment. But also you start to look at training you start to look at professional development you start to look at coaching you start to look at it's not just about making people feel good it's about developing people so actually it's got a much wider footprint so we've actually just completely shifted our professional development framework we've moved away from career managers to career coaches and there's a big kind of driver of there's only one person that manages your career and that's you and actually what our role is there is to help coach you to be the best you can be so that was the third pillar and then the fourth pillar was all around being commercially and operationally astute and you know that's making sure that our systems don't get in people's way that they're easy to use they're lean we have a strong focus on digitization of our services so you know it's kind of looking through we used to sign this many contracts actually when we're going to be this large organization, we're going to do this, actually, would that put a strain on this? Do we need to lean those processes out? So how, how do we scale some of our operations without bloating our operations and hurting them? And that's really sort of formed the next chapter. And that's our real growth now is how do we shift to that? Oh, and the analogy is we want to be a rock band is the analogy. <laughs> so, uh, just to finish off the analogies, because the other two were so uh, sort of so well structured. What, why a rock band, and and who, if there is a model for it? So why a rock band? Because actually, there's a lot of parallels when you look at a rock band. So you know, rock bands want to be number one. Yeah, rock bands don't want to be just a garage. You know, group of mates in their garage, kind of jamming to no one. They want to be number one. They want to be on stage. They want to be the best. I think, you know, what great rock bands do is they take learnings from the past and sounds from the past, but create a, a sound that's theirs, that's relevant to the future. So I think coming back to the relevancy point of, you know, people are number one because they're very relevant to the market they're selling to. I think the other analogy is, and why a rock band and not an individual? Because I think with a rock band, what you have is, you have the best drummer, you have the best guitarist, you have the best vocalist. As individuals, they're the best, but actually it's the collective of them together that really makes the band kind of zing. But also those people don't become the best guitarist without a lot of hard work and practice and really honing their, their talents. But also behind any rock band is an amazing support crew. So not everyone needs to be the ones on stage. Not everyone needs to be the ones up there performing but actually 
every rock band has a fantastic crew that kind of sits sits behind them. So there, there was a lot of things that actually, yes, yes, it's a bit fun, but actually there's a lot of things that actually really resonate there. And um, which rock band does have fun, right? So, you know, who doesn't want to be in a rock band? So, um, so yeah, so I, I think it really resonated with with everyone. I love the description, Graham, and just because of how clear and vivid the, the previous two were, I wanted to, to get the rock band. <laughs> There's something interesting in just what you said there around high-performing workforce, and I, I don't know if we'll have too much time on it because I, I, we could probably spend a long time. At the same time, I get the sense from you that you are very, to your point, that fun, that team-focused caring. I also get the sense that you're really clear on the data and you know, in a good way there is a hard edge and as a team at large, how do you balance that? Because to your point of using fun, not fear, you know, the, if you take that too far, everyone's happy, clappy, and, you know, bad performers stay with you. But if you stray too far the other way, particularly if you're in a culture which is, let's say, softer, even a small stray into performance management can feel quite sharp. How do you balance those? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting because it was a, it, it is a difficult shift. And, you've got to get your messaging right. I'm not saying we've got all of our messaging kind of, kind of right about that. I'm a massive believer in growth mindset. I'm a massive believer in wanting to better yourself, leaving your ego. I think one of the best quotes I heard from one of our clients this week was, you guys are amazing. You have no ego. And actually that really resonated with me because I kind of believe that everyone can better themselves in some way and that goes to our work we can always deliver something better better for our clients and i think we have a duty i suppose that in order to make people the best they can be when they come into the organization i think what you need to do there is you need to be very clear on the expectations as you rise up the career ladder and you know I, I, th I think we've got you need to be very clear as a manager in the industry this is what's expected of you <laughs> you know and I think you have to be very clear with those expectations and I think I, I have a bit of a thing difference between sort of performance and progression a little bit they can be sometimes viewed the same I actually look at them quite differently actually you can how so I love that you can be very performant at your job, but actually you're not progressing your career. So an analogy I'll use is like an analogy. You can be the best person working behind the checkout. So yeah, you can be the quickest, you can be the thing, you can do all of that. But actually to go up to the next level, you actually need to manage the checkouts. You need to manage the people. You need to, it's not about you being the quickest scanner, you know, or anything like that. It's about you enabling others. And I think you need to be very clear with people as they go up their career that your job kind of changes as you go up and you need to understand the capabilities and stuff in order to grow and how things change. So, um, and that's quite a difficult message, I think, kind of sometimes to sort of get over to people of, actually you're kind of at this level and doing a good job here we kind of expect that bit you're at a particular level actually you need to also have those sides and 
you know, probably there's two sides of this to me why that's important. One is, you know, if we're going to be the number one, we need a high-performing workforce that works for us. But also we owe a duty to our people that the time they are employed by us, they come out a more skilled, more relevant individual for the market, really. Because, you know, some people will stay with us for life. Some people might only stay a couple of years. That's fine. But I always want them to come out a better individual and be ready for the next step of their career journey. And that's why sometimes it is hard to have those difficult conversations that sort of really ground people in expectations. I guess it comes back to what you were saying earlier around, you know, we talked about it with data is actually, I said it and you agree, but that treating people like grownups, you know, it's having those honest conversations. Yeah. And I like your supermarket metaphor. I was, I was going to lean into sport, but it breaks a little, (laughs) but at the same time, I guess, you know, you, you obviously like sport as well. I think, you know, if you've got a first, second and third team in football or whatever your sport is, it it's usually quite clear to see why the first team striker is there and the third team striker is where they are. And I, I'm not going to try and, you know, force the analogy, but to your point of performance, you could be a very performant third team striker, but actually to take that next step up, you know, you just might not be there. But I always find sport, that's very clear to people. You know, the world of work where you play in years, not minutes, it can be very hard to have that sense. So Graham, we, we've talked a lot about the journey and, and thank you because we've we've covered some fantastic areas and some fascinating things. I mean, already I'm, I have lots of spreadsheets that I'm now going to go and put in one place and, and start to look at how I share with the team because I, I think to your point, and sometimes, you know, I know in my case particularly, it's, it, it's not a lack of want to share. It's just probably a lack of thought to have done it with certain things. And, and you know, in this day and age, we're all on Google. You know, we, we use Google. It's very easy to federate a spreadsheet to everyone. And so that's been fascinating for me. I think we touched a little bit on your journey as the founder earlier and with with Harry, but I guess there's the other side of this, which is home and family. Because, you know, in the corporate world, you know, we're just talking about sport, weren't we? Like we could say, great, 300 percent that's amazing. Like, but that might not be amazing if, you know, actually home isn't where you wanted it to be. And I, I'd love to know how you have managed that period, because something I know we talked about ahead of this, but we haven't brought up here is not only did you found this business, but at the same time, your wife was pregnant with what turned out to not be your second, but your second and third. So, you know, here you are, you're starting a business, you've got three kids all young. How have you approached that kind of family and work life to achieve the balance that works for you and works for your family? Yeah, I'm not going to lie. It's not been tough. I, I think during that, that, that journey, I think when we look at things as a couple, I think we're, we're kind of strong believers that happy individuals make happy couples and fulfilled individuals make fulfilled couples. And I think both of us, if you look at us as individuals, are very career orientated. We're very kind of you know, want to succeed with, you know, and both of us, I think, identify a lot with that as kind of individuals. So I think that's kind of the starting point is really recognizing that as individuals, we want to, 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 to kind of um, be happy, you know, you know, to be happy as a family. I think it has, it has been tough in the sense. So I think, as you mentioned, we've got 10 year old daughter and five year old twins. It's been 
you know, what was really interesting was COVID hitting when the twins were one and we had to homeschool our daughter when my wife had just started a new job and COVID had hit the business. That was quite an interesting kind of time and you kind of look back at that time and sort of think, how the heck did we get Must seem easy now. That? But, you know, I think there's another, there's another side of this as well of really showcasing to our children as well, you know, and... I think you've got to just be really organized, I, th- I think. And you've also got to be really transparent, uh, I, I think. Again, coming back to the transparency g- g- kind of point. So, um, you know, me and my wife are incredibly organized. You know, we're very organized with our diaries. We're very organized in compartmentalizing our weeks between work and home. And that's all it comes to the point of planning. So... Tuesdays and Thursdays are my days where I can go into London, I can kind of have free reign. Mondays and Wednesdays are Annabelle's, where she can kind of have free reign on that. So I think we're quite organised in that kind of respect. I think coming back to, don't want to make it sound like we run our personal life like our professional life, but going back to the kind of continuous improvement in the sense of I think you also need to constantly review that. So almost every school term we kind of have a conversation where we sit down and go what's working what's not working and we kind of adapt our working patterns i think there's an element of respecting each other's careers as well in that respecting that it's not just all about me or it's not just all about annabelle there's there's a level of kind of sort of respect over the two and then there's you know trying to put some boundaries as well yeah i'm pretty strong on kind of being there for when the kids go down to bed and spending time with them before that you know we take into to do breakfast with them so, so, so we kind of build in those times where we we spend i think probably the hardest thing i find is not necessarily the compartmentalizing of time that's quite easily managed just put a schedule down and sort of stick to the schedule it's the mental load and i think you know the mental load for me of the business it's kind of when you're not working you are working because you're always going around i think annabelle carries a lot of the mental home load the kind of what do the children need to take into you know school that day and stuff um and everything so so i think that mental load can be hard and i I, but i think finally you just have to be fair to yourself and you kind of have to not beat yourself up i think there's no way you can be the most amazing parent you know the instagrammable parent and stuff but also the most amazing thing i think there's a there's an understanding that you need to balance both and just be kind of easy on yourself and be a bit easy. If the house is a bit messy, the house is a bit messy. It's fine, right? You know, it's it's just kind of care about the big stuff, not kind of care about the the smaller stuff. But I think, you know, deep down, we both have a shared vision, I suppose. And, you know, we're both, we're both working to the same kind of end goal together. There was a lot in there, Graham, and you, you've answered quite a few of my questions. I'll probably start as much just to give others context as, as to get an answer that would be useful, because you touched on, you know, both you and Annabelle have that kind of focus on your careers. And it's filling in some gaps for our listeners. My understanding, obviously, your business is going very well. Annabelle's career is going very well. And, and the reason I add that is I've had guests, both male and female, where 
as the leader of a consultancy, their partner has kind of taken a you know career backseat to, to the home life. So obviously that's not what what you've done. I guess I'll ask this for others and you can tell me if this is how you approached it. Sort of for anyone who might be starting their own firm or needing, you know, they're about to cast out on a journey that will require a lot of time and effort from a work perspective. Like what would your I guess advice be in terms of having those conversations to get to where it sounds like you and Annabelle are now. Like how how can you proactively put those structures in place so you're not getting on you know getting on each other's nerves or just chasing your tails? Yeah, I think as I say, just being open and honest and almost say having those conversations. Yeah, yes, there's time points where we have those, like the end of every term and things working. Do we need to? We're about to plan our kind of forward schedule, but also just be being quite open and honest if things aren't working and and having that regular kind of dialogue really and yeah i think there's an element of kind of recognizing what the other needs so so actually when when i quit my job because i I mean i quit my job to do this and i kind of quit it with a bit of a dream actually at the time i think annabelle was you know, off work at the time on maternity leave and stuff. We just bought a house and everything. So there was an open and honest discussion there around what does this mean for us as a as a family. It's quite a time take, to quit your job, isn't it? Yeah, I'm going to take this risk and stuff. But again, there was kind of an open and honest thing of is this going to make you happy sort of thing. And again, pulling in the same direction. And, you know, she was an amazing support and is still an amazing support in helping me realise my dream and I need to be an amazing support for helping her realize her dream but equally it th- there's also comes down to families is incredibly important to us and I think you know we're, we're very visible parents at work so in the sense of and, and we've always promoted other people to be very visible parents so yeah, you know, we share a lot about our children. We share a lot about what we're doing with our children and stuff because we we kind of want people to realise as well that we can't just be that CEO Graham, you know, that that's all encompassing. That actually, I do have other responsibilities outside of that that actually can take priority over certain things. So, again, people need to be quite visible you have to be visible and transparent about those things but also there's other people in the organization that are doing the same stuff yeah you know they're in two career families and and everything like that and we need to give them the comfort that they can also do that because it is really tough as you as an individual but i think the other thing what you need to do in those circumstances is make time for yourself and sometimes that's possibly something i'm not good at but I know I always feel the best when I do. And that's, you know, just maybe that's exercising for half an hour a day or going for a walk by yourself for half an hour a day. I recognize that when I go through those periods, things are much calmer and more controlled and, and everything. No, it's, it's a great point and, and has probably answered the last question I was going to ask. So I'm not going to ask it, Graham, because you, you have touched on it there, the kind of how you, how you make space for yourself in that world as well. Because like you say, there's the, the family and there is the self in all of that. I think some great advice, Graham, and, and probably a good place for us to draw to a close. We've covered a ton. I'm very conscious to what you just said as well. You know, we're recording this on a Tuesday and I, I want us to be able to finish so you can get home for bath or for, for bedtime. So I'm going to bring us to our last questions. These are ones I ask 
all of my guests. And I love the similarities and the differences. So first is about books. And it's what is the book or books that have you have gifted or have had the biggest impact on you? And, and why is that? So I'm not actually a massive reader, actually. Uh, I tend to not have time. But actually, probably the book that I've recommended the most to people, I've recommended it to, to a lot of people within our organization is Joe Mahoney's um, How to Build a Consultancy in the Digital Age. I think what I love about it is it's one of the first business books I've read that I recognize things in it. He talks a lot about kind of inflection points and growth points and where things can be going great and then suddenly hit this and things start to maybe turn the other way. And actually, I I really recognize those points. And I think it really gave me a lot of comfort reading that, actually, because it kind of gave me a lot of comfort that as you go through a growth journey, things will start to break. And that's fine. That kind of happens with everyone, but also gave you some good tips about how to to, to kind of plan. So uh, I, th- I think that was probably my book recommendation. Fantastic. Well, Joe is a, a friend of mine and a former guest. And I know that Joe listens and will be very happy when he listens to that. So yeah, and his book sales will have just gone up as well. So I'm sure he will thank you for that, Graham. And then the next question, and this could be a recap, it could be something new, but you, you've got three people in front of you. One is just starting out in consulting, might be your analyst level. One I'd call manager level. If you've you know been in a big firm, you mentioned IBM, it's that kind of middle of the grades before partner. And then the last one is that person who is approaching that partnership decision. So that might be to become a partner in a big firm. It might be to do what you did, you know, jump out and cast your own way. And the question is for each of those three people, what what one piece of advice would you give to them? I think for the consultant one, I think the piece of advice I'd give is at the early part of your career, what you really want to do is to get as broader experience as possible. The analogy I always use is... Um, you get a lot of people that they come into the consulting career and what do you, what do you want to do? Oh, I want to do this strategy work for this. And, you know, they, they kind of pick all the cool kind of, you know, sort of projects. And then you go and put them on a PMO gig and they kind of go, oh, I don't want to do PMO and stuff. And um, I kind of go, look, the, the start of your career is where you start to build the real foundational skills. If you go and work in a PMO, you're learning what a project plan is. You're looking at what a risk register is. You're learning, you know, how to do status reports and everything. As you go through your career, even if you become the cool strategy consultant, when you actually get a point, you'll be expected to lead those engagements. And guess what? When you lead them, you need to have a plan, risks, and everything. So I think the thing for a consultant is get a broad set of skills before you really start to to funnel your skills. I think as a manager, the key thing I always sort of say to managers is you're shifting away from success isn't necessarily you, success is your team. And it's it's very much, you know, pre-manager, you're very much looking at the individual and how the individual performs. When you kind of come to manager, it's about how you enable others to perform and, you know, how you really get that going. And actually, you're deeming the success more about how others are performing necessarily just yourself. But also, that's where you start to think about, you need to think about the growth. You need to think about the company development and the the delivery. It's not just you being a head-on consultant in a client 
you've got to a point you're starting to become a leader of the organization. And then with partner, I think when you're going to partner, you have to have a real identity as for you. I think the, there's probably two parts. I'll call them senior people rather than kind of kind of partners. There's probably two paths. One is you just need to be a guru in your field. You need to be seen in the market as kind of amazing or you need to be bringing in the growth yeah the growth side of things and sort of enabling the rest of the organization and i think you need a real clear brand identity when you kind of go into partner you kind of need to have a real clear vision of how you are going to lead fit into the leadership team and how you're going to add to that leadership team and make an even better business i think graham some great advice great place for us to finish so thank you very much for today i've really enjoyed it um, as i said earlier i'm i'm going to be taking a lot of this there's a train home from london and some google sheets that are going to get looked at the last thing to ask is for anyone who's who's listened to this wants to find out more about yourself wants to find out more about infuse where would you point them to where can they get in touch Just connect with me on linkedin probably the best and easiest uh, place to to, to to get in touch so um yeah connect with me on linkedin send me a message we'll go for a coffee somewhere and stuff. And, uh, you know, I'm always really interested to meet other people. And I love meeting other founders and sharing stories and stuff. And uh, actually, the more you kind of build the community there, the easier it becomes, really, because you've, you've suddenly got people to have a bit of a moan to. And... <laughs> Definitely. Well, thank you, Graham. We'll put a link to your LinkedIn in the show notes. All that's left to say is yes, thank you for today. Really enjoyed it and all the best for the rest of your week. Thanks, Nick. Cheers, Graham. Today's episode is brought to you by Create Engage, the specialist digital marketing agency for the disruptive management consultancy. Now, for long-time listeners, you will probably already know who we are. You may have even heard one of our ads on a previous episode of this podcast. But for those of you who don't, here is a short introduction. At Create Engage, we help you create an effective marketing strategy for your consultancy, a strategy that will resonate with your target clients. And then we support you by delivering the campaigns you need to turn that strategy into a reality, helping you to build your brand, raise your profile with your prospective clients, and ultimately generate return on investment from your marketing activity. Now, I could tell you about many of the great clients that we work with and the results we've delivered for them. But instead, I'm going to do something much more powerful and something that I would recommend you do for your own marketing. I'm going to let our clients do the talking for us. If you are currently thinking about marketing for your consultancy, you're going to want to listen to this. Create Engage started the process for us. They managed it end to end. They came up with some really creative ideas and we were really happy with the work that they did, which meant that we could just focus on running the business. Not only did we start conversations with clients that we hadn't spoken to before, but also there was tangible return on investment by some work that we were given. They've helped right from the initial shaping of the idea through to helping us work out what our end goal was. They've supported us with the visual identity and our positioning of the brand. We've had an immediate expansion of our network and, and have initiated a raft of new conversations with owners, CEOs in, in target client organisations and has led to us winning new projects already. One of the greatest compliments, I guess, is that one of our 
competitors even said that uh, they really like what we're doing with marketing and they wish they could be doing something as good. So from our perspective, we couldn't recommend Create Engage any more than this. I would certainly recommend Create Engage if you're a consulting firm. They really understand consultancies and the sort of challenges we face. And uh, you know, I don't think you're going to get much better marketing anywhere else. So I wouldn't hesitate to recommend Create Engage. They did a really good job for us. So if you're looking for an agency that can help you achieve the results that our clients just described, then head to our website createengage.co.uk where you can find out more about how we support consulting firms like you. You can download our latest ebook and you can get in touch to talk about how we can help you take your consultancy to the next level through digital marketing. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Climbing Consulting. If you have any guest recommendations, comments, ideas, thoughts on how I can make this show better for you, just drop me an email. It's Nick at createengage.co.uk and I really look forward to hearing from you.